All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. This is lesson 12 of our marriage class covering uh, Paul Tripp's book called Marriage. And uh, I still have one more copy over there. We'll just put it in our church library if nobody claims it. But uh, yeah, I've enjoyed going through this. Uh, we're just covering chapter 17 tonight. Um, there are a couple more chapters in this edition that he added on. Uh, we won't be covering those. One of them is just kind of like a Q&A chapter. Uh, and I think one of the other ones, a chapter on uh, questions related to intimacy in the marriage. So those could be valuable to you to go through maybe as husband and wife sometime and look through that. Uh, and then, of course, in the back of the book, there are some study questions um, that are helpful too. Could be a fun way as a couple to review the book, even sit down and work through some of those uh, study questions uh, here and there from time to time. So this is lesson 12, but covering chapter 17. Uh, and we'll work our way through again, kind of reviewing what the chapter talks about. Uh, you have at the top of your handout, the six gospel commitments that have sort of provided the structure of his book. Uh, we will give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. We will make growth and change our agenda. We will work together to build a sturdy bond of trust. We will commit to building a relationship of love. We will deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. And we will work to protect our marriage. Uh, so those have been our main themes if we've as we've worked through this material. So in this chapter, it sort of serves as a review, and it's titled Worship, Work, and Grace. And uh, if you could summarize the theme of this chapter, it's basically that uh, worship is the foundation of a healthy marriage. Or maybe to put it more accurately, proper worship. Right? If our worship is off, that's when we'll have trouble in marriage. And uh, the way we fix it is by starting with fixing our worship, our relationship with God. He says this on page 301, Good marriages are built vertically before they are built horizontally, and troubled marriages are repaired vertically before they are ever repaired horizontally. He breaks this down in more detail, I thought, in a really helpful way. So let me just read this quote. When it comes to marriage struggles, worship is the problem and worship is the cure. It is only when God is in his rightful place that other things will be in their rightful place. It is only when I love God above all else that I will love my spouse properly. If love for God is not the practical driving force of my life, love of self will be. If God's kingdom is not my reason for doing what I'm doing in marriage, my kingdom will be. If I am not resting on God's, in God's control, I will look to take control. If I don't think that I am dependent upon his grace, I probably won't give Luella, that's his wife, grace. If I forget the call of his will, my responses will be directed by what I want, how I want it, where I want it, and when I want it. This tendency in all of us to worship ourselves is only ever defeated when it is replaced by willing, active, and consistent worship of God. So that he really summarized well the way that worship affects so many different avenues of our marriages. And when that is off, when we're worshiping ourselves, uh, that's when we run into trouble. 
So in the first section on page 302, he, he draws those connections between marriage and worship and how love for God impacts love for spouse. And that's something that we have sort of added to Tripp's material as we've worked through this. Um, he doesn't say this explicitly in the book that I can recall, but really the, the great commitment of marriage is, I want to love this person the way Christ has loved me. And we could give uh, credit to the Apostle Paul for that one, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And it's basically that concept that I'm going to love this person the same way that Jesus has loved me. So notice some of these connections between uh, marriage and worship. Number one, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you will live with His plans and purposes in view. You will live with His plans and purposes in view. Rather than seeking to make sure that your will is done in your marriage and working to get your spouse to serve you and your plans, you'll find joy in doing God's will instead of your own. This transition is explained clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is a passage we've talked about a number of times. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. And then later, in verses 14 and 15, he explains kind of the reasoning behind that. Uh, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. So Christ died for us so that we would live for Him. And so that's that transition in marriage. We focus on God's plans and purposes for us rather than our own. Number two, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you will live thankfully. You will live thankfully. When you begin to examine yourself in the mirror of God's word and see how undeserving you are, you are hit with how great, patient, kind, gentle, and forgiving God's love is. When you stand in the shadow of God's glory, you're filled with a sense of how weak, failing, undeserving, and unworthy you really are. Gratitude flows right out of worship. Because when we see God as He is, He is enlarged in our view. He, he of course, stays the same size, but he, He's bigger in our view, and we are confronted with how sinful we are. And so we get a whole lot smaller and our problems get smaller as well. And we become thankful rather than being entitled and uh, you know, getting, developing this victim mentality. When we worship God, um, we become thankful because we realize how undeserving of His kindness we actually are. Number three, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you don't shrink your world down to the size of your wants, needs, and feelings. This, again, has to do with living for God's purposes and not my own. Often we try to get our spouse to just kind of meet my needs, to make my life happy, to build the marriage that I dreamed of, and uh, we lose sight of God's purpose in the whole thing. Number four. When your life is shaped by the worship of God, you don't try to do His job. This is one of the great disorders of the Christian life. Uh, we spend all of our time worrying about and trying to do what only God can do, and then we don't put any focus into what He has actually called us to do. Uh, 
Uh, we get those things backwards many times, and this is a good example of that. There are husbands and wives who take it upon themselves to do God's job and to try to turn their spouse into the person he or she needs to be. They begin to buy into the delusion that by their tone of voice or by their volume or by the power of their arguments, the infliction of guilt, the threat of what may happen, or some other human tool, they will be able to change the person they married. Not so. That's God's job. Number five, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you will want to give the other the same grace you have received. The people who love best are those deeply appreciative of the way that they have been loved. People who forgive most faithfully and willingly are those who know they are in desperate need of daily forgiveness. Right? This comes back to the idea we're talking about. The more aware I am of the way that God has loved me, the better I will be at loving my spouse in that way. Number six, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, people and things are in their right place, meaning they're not receiving our worship. Uh, we tend to worship people and things. We tend to try to find our identity from people and or things. Uh, and that's not where I, our identity comes from. It's rooted in God. And so as I'm worshiping God, I can find my identity in Him, and I'm not trying to do that in other things. Number seven, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you celebrate His work in your spouse. He asked a really insightful question in this chapter. When you talk about or think about your spouse, are you more often a critic or a celebrant? When you talk about and think about your spouse, are you more often a critic or a celebrant? Are you celebrating what God has given you in your spouse and what God is doing in your spouse? Or are you, do you tend to be more critical? He talks about two ways specifically that we worship God in this way. First, we worship Him as Creator. That means when we look at our husband or wife and consider their personality and gifts, we remember that God hardwired my spouse in some certain ways different from me. And I can celebrate uh, the fact that my spouse is different than me in some ways. That's a good thing. Uh, and rejoice in that rather than become critical of that. Secondly, we worship God as Savior, meaning that God is the one who is redeeming both of us. He's changing both of us. And uh, I don't try to be my spouse's Savior. I let Christ do that. Uh, and that's important as well. Number eight, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you don't live in fear. You don't live in fear. A lot of marriages are dictated by fear. The what ifs, what could happen, what might he do, what might she say. If this goes this way and there, it kind of can freeze uh, a relationship with fear. But when we worship God... There's one greater than us whom we trust, and that frees us up to love and to give and to share and to trust and not be gripped by or frozen by fear. All right, so those are eight examples he gives of how uh, our life is shaped by worship of God, how love for God impacts love for our spouse. From here, he explains that this kind of worship takes work. Uh, it, 
it, it's something that ought to impact the details of our lives. The chapter is entitled, or excuse me, the, the section of the chapter is entitled Worship and Work. He says this, real love for God always results in a willingness to invest yourself in acts of concrete love for your neighbor, or in the context of this book, your spouse, your spouse. So what you have in your notes there, you have a, a long bulleted list. And uh, just before that list, uh, I give you some instructions there to read through the list and consider, number one, which ones stand out to you as areas for improvement. Circle three, you'd especially like to improve and what practical steps can you take. And then number two, has the list reminded you of any ways that your spouse has loved you for which you can express gratitude to your spouse. So those are two things that you can do. Uh, we're going to have a little time at the end of the lesson. You can come back to that and uh, start with that little personal assessment, how you're doing in each of those areas. But it's a really helpful list of just some specific practical ways to show Christ-like love in the details of life. Uh, sometimes we think of that concept like, yeah, I need to love my spouse. Well, yeah, I, I love my spouse but we don't do anything about it in the actual details of life. And that list is kind of helpful. It's not meant to make you feel like a failure or feel guilty or any of that, but um, some practical ways to begin living that out. Uh, I almost wonder if in the book he does intend the reader to feel a little bit guilty because the next section that he goes to is called Driven by Grace. And he kind of introduces the section by explaining, uh, if you feel like there's no way you can do this on your own, you're right. Uh, we must rely on the grace of God. And I appreciate that, uh, that that's where he heads next. The verse that came to my mind is James 4, 6. And right in chapter 4, after James uh, really kind of hammers his readers, uh, calls them adulterers and adulteresses, uh, being disloyal to God, uh, you come down to verse 6 and it's super encouraging because after all that he says, He, God, gives more grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So as you come through a list like that and maybe realize, ooh, I need to work at loving my spouse better, it ought to lead us to a point where we're ready then to depend on God's grace. Um, coming to a place in our marriages where we're humbled, where we are realizing like, oh, I don't have this on my own. I, I can't just be a good husband uh, with my own strength is a really, really good place to be. He calls it being at the end of yourself. When you realize that the only way you can do this is by wholly, completely relying on God's grace. And the beautiful thing is that God's grace is sufficient, completely. Like it's not that he needs you know, 10% of me and he'll fill in the 90% rest. No, God's grace is absolutely, wholly, completely sufficient. And he gives more grace. And the more I'm humbled, the more God gives grace, right? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we make ourselves low and trust that the Lord gives grace and He's the one to lift us up uh, as we lean on Him for help. So tr three truths here that you have in your notes that help us lean on God's grace. Number one, realizing that we are needy. We are needy. The biggest problem we could have is to think we've got it. 
Oh, we got it on our own. Up, oh, I've got it figured out. Yep, I'm doing just fine. Nope. We need the Lord's help. Number two, to remember that God's grace is greater. So whatever my sin, whatever issues I've caused, wherever the marriage is at, whatever the problem, God's grace is greater. I just love that. You name it, it's greater. God wins. And number three, he gives grace to the humble. So the answer is not to hide my sin. The answer is not to brush it under the rug, pretend it's not that big of a deal. No, the more more it humbles me, the more it lowers me, the more I am connected to God's grace and provision and help. Weakness is the way. Humility is the way uh, when we are working with the Lord in our marriages. All right, Uh, that's where the chapter ends. I added something to the notes that I wanted to walk through with you. I'll just leave this up here for now, and then we'll give you a little bit of time at the end for uh, discussion questions. But one of my goals in presenting this course was not only that we'd all be challenged and helped in our own marriages, which I hope you found it to be that, but that we'd also, uh, to some degree, feel equipped to use a resource like this to help somebody else in their marriage. Um, So I wholeheartedly believe that uh, God wants believers helping one another in the Christian life. And that because we have God's spirit, we can do that, right? God has empowered us to be able to do that. You don't even have to have a resource like this. We can just open the scriptures together and do that. Uh, But sometimes working through a book uh, prompts conversation and discussion and allows us to learn together. And uh, the, the four of us, two couples, for instance, can get angry with what he says rather than get angry with each other, right? Uh, he's too harsh there. Yeah, that's way too much. Well, whatever. Um, but going through a resource can be really helpful. And so I just want you to consider and think and pray, would the Lord use you to go through this book with somebody else? Uh, and don't even think of it as you like trying to swoop in and fix their marriage. Think of it as just mutual accountability. Hey, the four of us want to grow in the way we're doing marriage. Wouldn't it be helpful to just to sit down and go through this together? We'll get together once every two weeks over dinner and talk through the chapter. So here's a little structure you can use uh, to go through a book with somebody. This actually is not even just about this marriage book. This is a great way to go through any book. Well, maybe not any book. Uh, a good book with somebody else um, and do spiritual good in each other's lives. Okay, so here's the little structure that I use. Number one, read a chapter in advance. So you come to your meeting prepared, you've read it, and learn to, learn to underline if you don't. Uh, that is huge. When you come to discussion together, a uh, hundred times out of a hundred times, I will not remember what I read unless I have underlined, in which case I can go back through the chapter and be like, Oh, yeah, 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 that sentence was really helpful to me. I would not have remembered that unless I saw it underlined there or the big question mark I put in the margin or a star next to something, whatever. Find your own system, but learn to underline. That's super helpful. So read the chapter in advance as preparation for the meeting. Number two, what stood out to you? You take turns sharing, right? And just kind of open it up. Hey, what would you read in the chapter that you liked? What didn't you like? What do you agree with? What do you have questions with? What, what stood out to you? And just kind of facilitate discussion. Take turns sharing 
uh, something that was helpful to you, something that convicted you, something that enlightened you, uh, and take a few moments to do that. Number three, share anything else that was impactful to you specifically that hadn't been shared by somebody else. So if there's something in the chapter that's just really a key idea that stood out to you or was helpful to you, um, that's a good time to share that once everybody else has had a chance. Share some of those things that were important to you. Number four, share how God used it in your own marriage. This is a great chance to be transparent. Just say, hey, uh, man, that quote on page 256, oh, that convicted me. I had to go to my wife and apologize to her. And uh, we talked to that. She forgave me. I had done this. And be open. Be willing to share. That's a lot of times how uh, we learn from one another and learn to grow with, with a little bit of that openness and sharing with one another. Be transparent about things that have gone on. Number five, ask how God is using it in their marriages. Marriage. Just one marriage, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, what came up from the chapter in their marriage this week? What went on? What happened? What challenges are they facing? Uh, here's just a great question you can ask. As they share, you know, what ha- have they kind of had any uh, barriers in their relationship? Uh, they've been bumping heads a little bit in this area, or they've been working on this and they're not sure how to work through it. Um, that basic marriage commitment can often bring a lot of clarity. Just to ask that question, well, hey, let's just think through out loud. How does this reality that I'm to love this person the way Jesus loves me, how does that shed light on that specific situation, right? How does Jesus treat me when I do that? And how does that change the way I ought to treat you then? And that, it's amazing the, the clarity and the answers it brings just to think about that specific truth. I'm to love this person the way Jesus loves me. Now, how does that apply to what we're facing this week? Uh, one of the most freeing things in point number five here is just to remember that you're not there to fix them. Um, that's, not, that's not our role. We're not the Savior, right? God might use you to help. But if you go into a, you know, a, a meeting like this thinking, all right, I've got some things to tell them from this chapter. I really think Steve has been struggling with this one. I really think Marty's been struggling with this one. And I'm going to give it to them this week. I'm just going to tell them this is the problem and they need to fix these things, right? Well, I'm, I'm kind of swooping in as Savior. But if I come in as a fellow sinner, a fellow struggler, a fellow needy sinner that needs God's grace, then we can kind of learn these things together. And I can share, ooh, I... I am proud too, and here's how God humbled me this week. Maybe that would help you. And look at this verse of Scripture that was convicting to me as I read it. And uh, how would that help you in your life this week? You know? So then we're just, we're just helping one another look to Christ. And I'm not there to fix anything. I'm just there to be a resource to help them look to the Lord. Uh, number six, close with gospel hope. At least some points in your sessions together, it's important to review the gospel. Uh, the bad news that we are sinners and we must admit it. To hide it, to, to brush under the rug, to pretend it's not a big deal is to, is to ignore the truth of the gospel. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let's be humble. Number two, there's good news that comes with that. Our sin does not disqualify us from God's help. It was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. So God hasn't gone anywhere. He wasn't scared off by my sin. He hasn't abandoned me. 
he sees me in Christ. And so he's present, he's powerful, he's committed to helping our marriage. These are gospel truths that are so encouraging. And so in response, we will love him more for his incredible love for us. We will show gratitude for his love and seek to obey him out of that gratitude. So those are some ideas for you in maybe using this resource with somebody else if you get the chance. Uh, And if you do have the opportunity, let me know. I'd love to pray for you as you do that and uh, be a resource to you. Um, To be married is to need help, right? That's just the bottom line. Uh, We are so blind to our sin. Uh, We are so needy. And God helps us, right? But uh, why not benefit from one another as well and uh, be resources for each other? So there's some ideas for you with that. All right, with the time remaining, uh, a, couple, a couple assignments for you here. Uh, first assignment is to go through that bullet point list and uh, find three things that you want to work on in your own relationship and maybe a couple things that you've seen your spouse do that you can show appreciation for. All right, so that might take you a minute or two. Then find a couple people nearby and work through the discussion questions, one through six. Uh, We've got plenty of time today, 15 minutes, so you should be able to work through those. Grab a couple, I don't know, groups of four to five. Well, I guess we have couples, six, whatever. Find some people nearby and you can work through those discussion questions, one through six. And they're sort of intended to not just review this chapter, but a lot of the material we've covered already so far, too. So... There you go. Those are your two assignments. I am done talking. And oh, uh, this is the last session of our class. So thank you for your good attendance and attention. And uh, next week, we'll be starting two new classes. Um, Let's see here. One on uh, the identity of Christ. Uh, What what do we call that one? The man from heaven, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Ryan will be teaching that. That'll be in the worship center. Uh, And then another one is going further in depth in Acts because we're moving quickly and kind of taking, uh, uh, I don't know if it's quite a bird's eye view, but it's a speedy view of Acts. And so Kevin Subra will be teaching, uh, answering some of the deeper questions that come up through the book of Acts, uh, tongues and, you know, things like that. So uh, that class will be in here. All right. That's now I'm done. So uh, find, find some groups to discuss with for those last few questions.